You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. And now communion, which is really the first topic, the primary topic we wanted to get into. It's the meat of the episode. Oh my goodness. The the meat of the episode. Like we're eating something. Okay. Oh, so do you not believe in transubstantiation? Uh, how about consubstantiation? Uh, we'll get into that one in a okay. minute too. All right, why do you think Logan? I wanted to talk about the Lord's table. What's your? Would be your like? Get into your pastor's head. Get into my pastor's head. Well, one of the things. So one thing that's a little unique about us is we celebrate communion every week. Yeah. So we're Catholic. Sure. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> yep. <laughs> They did every week. What was that Catholic uh, school you went to? St. Thomas? St. John's. St. Yeah. John's. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we're more Catholic than we realize. Dun, dun, <laughs> dun, no. But like you recently posed a question of like how often should churches, yeah. you know, uh, partake in communion? That really just spurned on just having a general yeah. uh, podcast on communion. You've had different blog blog posts on it, but sometimes it can be nice to have a podcast. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put... I two you wanted di- my thoughts. That's why you wanted to do this podcast. Yeah, and <laughs> it's something we take seriously at our church. Um, I have two blogs. They're also audio blogs that you can refer to, and I'll try to remember to post those in the link um, below. And one is called Resisting Amnesia, which the one of the premises on that is that when you do something every week, whether it's communion, whether it's listening to a sermon or whatever, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a chance... There's a temptation where we kind of treat it mundane, comes rote. You do right. it just to do it. And so... Becomes a, a ritual, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and there's a, uh, r- rituals can be good, and there's times where rituals, you do it so often in a repetitive fashion, it loses its meaning. Right. And it was that direction I was trying to point out. The other one, the other uh, blog, if you're interested in it, it's um, how parents can disciple their kids through the sacraments. Mm. Right? And that's really important because... I get, I've received a lot of questions because we we're a growing church and we have kids and we're, you know, are growing up and they see mom and dad take the, the bread and the cup every week. And the question is, when do they take it? Sure. Right? How, I mean, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I really walk through um, the importance of confession because we're a credo Baptist. Right. So confession, baptism, and communion. And I try to try to show the internal logic of scripture mm-hmm. to show that that's, the best pattern in which we can disciple our kids, um, you know, with the sacraments in mind. Sure. So anyways, you can check that out. That's of service to you, especially for parents in terms of kind of my, my feedback to folks in our church mm-hmm. regarding that. Cause I, cause what I do reject, for example, I do not believe that you have to be credo Baptist in order to take the Lord's supper. So, okay. So if a Presbyterian brother came in, Kevin, yeah. R.C. Sproul gets resurrected, comes uh, in. Yeah, he's your guy. <laughs> Am I going to close the table off to him? Sure. I, I don't have the biblical warrant to say no. Like, you call him brother, why would you deny? Yeah. And and there's some there are some confessional churches, Baptist churches, who would say, no, we there needs to be confessional Baptist, a confessional statement, and then baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in many respects, I... Totally appreciate that. <laughs> you sure. know, you're guarding the table. Uh, however, I would hold to an open communion stance, and we hold open communion at Redemption yeah. Church. And we can get into that a little bit. Yeah, so, so let's first discuss what communion is. Yeah, like what, what is it? Like we, so we know it's 
maybe some people don't know, you know, you're taking bread and yeah. wine or juice because yeah. we're Baptist. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, and wine's more expensive, actually. <laughs> I mean, not if you go to Aldi. The boxed wine? No, they have like uh, $5 bottles of wine. Oh, okay. Super cheap. Yeah. Uh, put a pin <laughs> in that for a second. You know, growing up Catholic. Sure. And this is like, obviously like before 2020 where you would never drink out of the same cup. Sure. Like we, you'd get in line, get up, you get in line, you'd go to the front. Everyone's drinking out of the same cup. Yeah. And they, and they wipe the rim <laughs> as if that does anything. And you're like, and then you're the last one you're looking in and you're like, there's a lot of, I'm not sure most of that's wine well, I, anymore. <laughs> that's the funny thing is there would be a few priests who would take the leftovers and just take it down afterwards. Oh. <laughs> I'm Whoa. like, you just drank. You know, my oh lips are we're both like shuddering. I'm, hey, at least it's consistent with their theology. Like we'll get into this a little bit later yeah. as well. But like to them, like this is the actual yeah, blood yeah, of Christ. Yeah. You can't just toss that in the sink. Yeah. Like Luther, <laughs> like with his first communion, right? He dropped like a little bit on the floor. And that and was a big passed deal. Out. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. People, people look at that and they're like, well, what's the big deal? Well, when you're in the Catholic context, it's a huge deal. It's, it's the literal blood of for Christ. For them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a so. re-sacrifice you know, every time um, the Eucharist takes place. Yeah. So the um, purpose, to get to your question, the purpose is what we read in 1 Corinthians 11 mm-hmm. and what Jesus says in the Gospels is we are remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, we're remembering uh, the the death, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Right. And then we also can remember in communion his resurrection. Right. And then we also remember in communion, we go again, 1 Corinthians 11, he will come again. He will come again. And I emphasize that a lot at our church. Right. Because, I mean, you you can't. We can't be Christians that forget that like Jesus is coming back. Yeah. Like there's an end to this. Yeah. Like it'd be just as in the old Testament, the saints were supposed to look forward to the coming Messiah. Now in the new Testament, we look forward to the second coming of the Messiah. Yeah. And that's lost on a lot of people. Yeah. Like that, that comparison, like I've said before in a sermon, the Jews weren't altogether wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just got the timeline wrong. Sure. Like they wanted... Or the nature of it wrong. In the nature. Yeah, yeah. But they wanted um, Jesus to come and physically rule. What do we want? (laughs) Jesus to come and (laughs) physically physically rule. rule. That's right. (laughs) So we we long for that day. But until that day, we are to um, take communion, and we do it every single week. Can you go to that text? Let's just read it so people have a foundation, especially if you're new to it or if you practice it quarterly and you're like why is you why do you guys make this a big deal corinthians 11 yeah let's do first corinthians 11 let's do that don't get in do do the text that i would use on a sunday morning i don't use i don't use this every sunday morning i do mix it up no this time you used an arminian text this week yeah you like that <laughs> didn't know those existed in the bible logan <laughs> really got to rethink your theology my yeah, guy right semi-pelagian now <laughs> <laughs> if you were there you, you saw it, you know. <laughs> All right. So this is verse 23. Yep, 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This is Paul speaking. Yep. Uh, that the Lord Jesus, on the nights when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance, remembrance. of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death Death until he comes comes again again. so we do this in remembrance Mm -hmm. and i would say we do it reverentially 
Absolutely. Like we don't do this willy nilly. This isn't a moment just to get past, but we are honestly and intentionally reflecting on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. The fact that Christ, second person of of the Trinity, yeah. came in human flesh and died for our sins. Mm-hmm. That is what we're trying to remember every single Sunday for us. Yeah. And if you're trying to pick this up, Paul is is bringing forward in his time, because Jesus had died, he ascended, resurrected, ascended. He's using the words of Christ here, mm-hmm. right? So there's a precedent for this, according to Paul, from the Gospels, where Jesus, on Passover, is celebrating the Lord's table with his disciples, mm-hmm. right? And what's what's interesting to think about is he's he's celebrating with his disciples and the guy that's in that's going to betray him is in the room oh yeah and there's two people who know him and and judas him and judas (laughs) and yet jesus is showing us this powerful picture of his sacrifice for his people Mm -hmm. why don't evangelicals why do people in our camp not do this every week and, and by the way, I don't have a hard and fast rule. This is a conviction we have, but I don't think sure. you don't do it our way. All of a sudden, you're in the back to the heresy conversation. Yeah, yeah. We're not going. If there. you don't do it every week, you're a heretic. Yeah, we're not saying that. No, no, not at all. We're not questioning the virgin birth here. The, the most often thing that I've heard from people that do it, usually it's monthly instead of weekly. Okay. And the idea is, is that you're trying to avoid it from coming becoming that ritual that you just kind of do and it has no effect. And instead, you do it once a month and you make it a, a special service, like yeah. it's a special event that we are specifically going to take communion together. Um. Also allows them to get better bread. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think I think early. I like that heart. I like that heart behind it as like a reason for doing it once a month. Like, no, yeah. we want to make sure this is special, and we are trying to make sure that it doesn't become routine by doing it every week. Yeah. So here's my thing. It's so emphasized in the New Testament. It seems we should bring a similar emphasis to it. So in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, there are all. All those gospel writers are recounting the institution of the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. That'd be the first thing I say. I think there is some biblical precedent to making this a more regular practice in in your local church. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. And I think this could have been the case not today, but maybe going back generations, there was a conscious effort by Protestants to not look like the Catholic Church. Sure, especially Baptists. Yeah, exactly. Especially Baptists and some and some. Uh, Northern Irish Presbyterians that come to my mind right now. And so I don't want to react against they're doing it that way. I shouldn't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Now let's be careful not to be reactionary. Sure. We want to do it because it's right and biblical. So I think that, I think that's important to point out. Mm-hmm. And I do, so I think that there's just a ton of biblical support to make this a more regular practice within the local church. Um, one thing I also want to talk about, like yeah. when we're talking about what is communion, we've talked about it being a remembrance, yeah. but is it more than that? Is I think there something so. else. Cause let's touch on the Catholic thing first. Transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. Right. mentioned it before. And, and Lutheran's a consubstantiation. Right. And then we have Zwingli was the memorial, rem- just view. memorial remembrance. Yeah, so just remembering it. Um, and then Calvin had a fourth, fourth one. I want to touch on transubstantiation yeah. first because... I think it's the most different from from what we do. So right. w- with them, when the priest blesses 
the bread Consecrates. and the cups. Consecrates. Yeah. Sorry, I'm. I didn't grow up Catholic. No, that's all right, man. I mean, I'm an altar <laughs> boy. I was ringing the bells and passing know, out. I, I passed out kneeling several times because uh, the story for another day. <laughs> Go ahead. Where are you going with this? Um, when they do that, the actual essence of the bread and the wine changes. Yeah, and becomes the physical body and the blood of Christ. Yeah. Not in its form. I did read this. There was a distinction. Not in its form. So it's still going to yeah. look like bread and taste like bread. But its essence yep. changes. A very actually kind of platonic thought. The idea that there's the form and the essence. It's actually itself. Aristotelian. Aristotelian? Yeah. So uh, Thomas is the one. Say Thomas Aquinas. He'd be the one who uh, wrote about this and really uh, not to, <laughs> I was going to say fleshed out. That's not the right way to say it for this topic. Um, he, he really wrote some substance on it. He just got that. <laughs> yeah. See, it's these dad jokes. Oh, they man. Come, they're so easy. Yeah. He, he, he was using Aristotelian categories of accidents and substances okay. to describe, in his view, transubstantiation. It was, that, it was at that point with Thomas where the Catholic Church went into this direction. Mm-hmm. And, and Thomas is a great thinker. There are things that Thomas has written that, especially in the realm of natural law and natural theology, were... I, I'm actually very blessed by, you know, mm-hmm. but here's where I just think he just went way off. Prior to that, there was a much more mystical approach to the Lord's, what we call the Lord's table, what they call the Eucharist. Right. And, um, you know, if you would ask me, are you more comfortable with that prior to Thomas and, and these clear stealing categories? I'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with a, a mystical approach to uh, you're, you're heading in my direction, which I think is a more biblical direction. And, you know, for the record, where where Thomas goes to is it, you know, it says, eat my flesh, drink my blood in the Gospel yep. of John. John 6. John 6, yeah. 53 through, looks like at least 58. Yeah. yeah, so my argument against that is, well, read other parts of John. Is Jesus a physical door? Mm-hmm. Right? Is he a physical light? You know, so there are metaphors laced all throughout the Gospel of John in which we're trying to describe Christ. There's right. no reason for me especially when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, to say that we are to, get, we are to treat that literally. We are right. to eat his flesh as, as if we're performing in Catholics. This is an uncharitable way you know, to describe Catholics. What are we into cannibalism all of a sudden, right? Right. So that's where I would disagree. Another area I disagree with Catholics is that's a re-sacrifice oh, yeah. of Christ. Christ died once, right? Mm-hmm. Once that, for all. For all. Which, which the book of Hebrews makes very, very clear. clear. Absolutely. So the theology is just way off for me. And Thomas had a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's how I approach, in case you're wondering, because if you come from a Catholic family and you visit during the holidays, maybe you go to Mass on Christmas or Easter. But a Christer, perhaps. Christer, yeah. And you're no longer a practicing Catholic. Maybe like me and the Lord saved you. Uh, don't take Don't take the Eucharist. I don't, I don't, if I were to go with my parents, and if this has been a situation in the past, I do not participate in the Mass because I don't believe in the theology of the Eucharist. I, I've actually taken Mass twice, both at uh, funerals. And I was like, I'm the only one taking this right. <laughs> yeah, so I would, ta- I would definitely take a different perspective on that because after the Lord saved me. I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was young in my faith. This, is, just, a, this is a good teaching moment like, for you, like, Logan. We're, just, we're, just, we're doing Mass. I'm like, oh, they're doing communion. And I went up to the priest. I was like, I mean, is this something I'm supposed to take? I'm Protestant. And he was like, ah, uh, like oh, it's really? in the middle of, <laughs> of the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and I'm standing in line, and there's other people behind me. And he's like, uh, do you believe in Jesus? I'm like, yeah. He's like, here you go. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I think I just kind of put him on the spot on that Yeah, one. poor guy. What'd you do to him? Nah, I, would, I, would, I you know, early on, you know, as I was visiting my family and I'm a pra- practicing Protestant, I didn't know any better. It wasn't until I started learning about the theology underneath it all. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, nah, I don't think Isn't so. Isn't the priest become like another Christ? Like it's a it's a re-sacrifice of Christ. The priest becomes like another Christ. I forget all the details of it. It, yeah. it's, There's a lot of theology. It's really wonky once you look into it. So that's the Catholic view, and I would highly disagree with that, of course. What was Luther's view? Luther had a consubstantiation, and he coined this phrase. I think it was him. The, the spirit is in and through and around, you know. So sure. he's moving away from the Catholics. I don't know. And I think that is genuine. Like, I disagree with you on this. But he he, w- he had a battle royale with Ulrich Zwingli. And he really did believe it was the body and blood of Christ. Hmm. He just got there philosophically or theologically speaking differently. Sure. Lutheran. Catholic light. Catholic light. <laughs> Some people would say it. So I would disagree with Luther on that. Okay. Now, the other one you mentioned was Zwingli. Right. Well, I back. Hold on a second. There's a story that that goes. I can't remember what. D, it was the Dia of Worms. No, hey, you gotta look it up for me. It's where Luther and and Zwingli are gonna debate this. And uh, you know, everyone's waiting for Luther to get in there. And Luther's kind of a hothead. If like if you read church history and you get into Luther, there you can actually just look up all the insults he does. Yeah. He's a yeah. colorful person. He's very colorful. And so he finally arrives at this debate. And he writes in Latin, allegedly, it's probably more mythic right now. He writes in Latin, this is my body. And it was like his mic drop moment, you know, and everyone's like, okay, we know how this conversation's going to go. Not well. Uh, so back to Zwingli, Ulrich Zwingli. As we said, we hold a memorial view, which is strictly the remembrance component. Now, this is... What I had learned as I entered into Protestantism was a strictly memorial view. Most of your folks who practice quarterly or monthly or whatever, they're going to hold to more of a memorial view. You know, we are, and, and I'm more sympathetic toward that than the other two. Um, what I would hold to is where Calvin's at, is that the spirit is actively at work in the moment. Now, I don't know if the memorial folks would necessarily disagree with that. Yeah. But the, uh, Calvin's emphasizing something different. I thought I thought Calvin's position was Christ is present in the elements of the sacrament just spiritually. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what I was trying to say. The spirit is is at work mm-hmm. in the entire moment. And sure. So, good. Little confession time. Yeah. I think I hold more with Zwingli. Mm. And the reason for it, like I I like you said, I don't think I disagree that the spirit's at work in the moment. Yeah. Because I think the Spirit should be empowering us for anything, including the acts of faith that are involved with taking communion. Like Paul says in Romans, anything done without faith is sin. When we take communion, we should be doing it with faith, and that faith is going to come from the Spirit. So I do see the Spirit as being in it, Yeah. but this spiritual presence in the elements themselves, I just haven't seen a very clear-cut scripture that would support that. Yeah. No, and I can hear that, but I think it's got to be more than in remembrance. Why? Well, I think when you consider the Passover and what took place, you know, if you go back, we're going back to Exodus. An angel going around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angel of death, specifically. It's certainly the work of God at work. And so if you, 
if you can't, it, it, I don't know if it's a matter of difference, but a matter of focus. Sure. Uh, the remembrance part is important, but the active work of the spirit to me is the most important. Hmm. The work of, work of the spirit to reveal Christ in a more full way, perhaps. Perhaps someone's just sitting there just for the first time, right? So it's the work of, it's the work of the spirit to reveal Christ. And to me, that's more where I land when it comes to the Lord's table. Hmm. It has to be more than just remembering, hmm. you know, cause you think of it this way. I wasn't alive when Jesus was crucified, right? I wasn't around for the Passover. Sure. So it has to be more than remembering, right? Hmm. I mean, of course we go to scripture and we read about it and we read God's word and that's clear. But for me, it's, it's more than, more than just remembering. All right. It's an active work of God. No, you can be part of our church and have disagreements. Oh my goodness. Oh my. <laughs> uh, can you pull up our confession of faith? I'll and, do my best. And read the section on the Lord's table. And we'll give you our... And in the reform camp, by the way, there's disagreement, slight disagreement. We all agree against the Roman Catholic view and the Lutheran view. But usually you find people on the spectrum between Zwingli and Calvin or something like that. Right. Hold on. You're asking me to pull this up and I have to like go into the website, go to the PDF. Oh, all that kind of stuff. That's all right. You get me so I think it's biblical support. Every gospel mentions it. Um, My Wi-Fi is not working. Oh, that's a bummer. Wi-Fi is out. That's all right. Let you bring it up. Yeah. While I bring it up, what are the thoughts you got? I think that there's nothing wrong. Like that, that sort of difference between the remembrance and the... Like I don't think either are in sin. Obviously, if you do yeah. one or the other. Um, because I think both are just trying to honor as much as they can what the scriptures say. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of emphasis on like, it's the, it's the spirits, the spirit is present in doing an active work, uh, in the moment of, of the Lord's supper. I think what that's trying to do is prevent that whole ritualistic, like, I don't know if it's roteness or where it becomes stale and it's like, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, no, Christ is doing something in this as I'm taking it. So I'm very sympathetic to that. I just can't go that far because I'm like, the scripture clearly says, do this in remembrance of me from Paul. But when you connect it to the greater theology, I think that we got something. Okay. The Lord's Supper, according to our confession of faith, it's 32.1. Um, I'm going to repeat a little bit. On the same night he was betrayed, the sup, uh, was betrayed. The supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him to be observed in churches uh, to the end of the world for perpetual remembrance. That's what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. The Lord's Supper shows the sacrifice of Christ and his death, the sealing of all of its benefits to true believers. And I think that's, the again, that's super important. Their spiritual nourishment and growth in him and their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe to him, Christ. Mm-hmm. It is to be a bond and a pledge of their communion with him and with each other. In this sacrament, point two, Christ is not offered up to the Father, nor, it's, so it's speaking against the Catholic view, we're not re-sacrificing right. Christ, right. nor is any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sins for living. So you, you can't take communion and be like, oh, my sins are forgiven because I did this practice. Right, because in, right. in Catholicism, you do communion as a part of a way to absolve your sins. Right. Uh, it is a commemoration of uh, of that one offering up of himself, by himself, on the cross, once for all, and a spiritual sacrifice of all possible praise 
to God for this. Number three. So this is, once again, 32.3 now. In this sacrament, the Lord Jesus has appointed his ministers to oversee. So what we're saying, we're saying there is this happens in the context of a local church. Ministers to oversee the bread and the cup and lead the communicants, people participating and taking the elements. Uh, though elders, as they're part of their office, are to oversee the Lord's table. Others in the church may administer the elements under their oversight. Meaning, function could look differently a redemptional church than someone else, another church in our denomination, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the point, the important point there is the uh, the location. Sure, like under the oversight of elders. So at youth camp, can you have communion at youth camp? According to our confession, no. Yeah, uh, this was asked of me in 2020 when, uh, for a very brief time, we met over Zoom. Right. And 20, very brief. This is when no one knew what end was up. And someone had asked me, could we take communion over Zoom? And I said no. And I really appreciated the question. Yeah. It's really a great did. question. It's a great question. I had to think about it for a second because I've never thought I'd have to answer that question or think about it, right? Right. Because I mean, what they want to do is they want to be obedient to what yeah. Christ has commanded. Yeah, exactly. And I and I said no because I really have a strong conviction, maybe opinion, that we need to be gathered together as a corporate body worshiping Christ. Because that's what church is. That's what church is. And communi- communion is done a- as a church. Right. And you really lose that when you're doing it over Zoom. Yeah, it's like... What's going on here? So I appreciate the question, but said no. And we were really eager to get back to a place where we were doing that every single week, which wasn't too long thereafter. Nope. Just through cars. Yeah, that was kind of fun too. Drive in church. Drive in church. In my in my yard. <laughs> yep. Uh, number four, the denial of the cup to people worshiping the elements, uh, lifting them up or carrying them about for adoration and reserving them for any perpetual or pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of the sacrament and the institution of Christ. Now you got to keep in mind here, break that down a little bit. Cause it's a little wordy. Yeah. So what's going on? You got to remember in 16, 17th century, there is a reaction against Catholicism. So when we wrote our Trinity confession of faith, we actually, um, modernized it. Sure. And we wanted to say, we're not reaction reacting against Catholics. So we, took right. out like you know the reaction is happened. the pope's the devil and things <laughs> right. like that but what is going on here is that mm. um we're not here to worship the elements themselves right right and any attempt to 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 posture that the elements are to be worshiped we deny right right uh in a sense the elements are a window into uh christ mm-hmm. that's what's going on here not the elements themselves right so that's a little bit of what's going on point four point five the out, outward elements in this sacrament, duly set apart to use uh, to the use ordained by Christ, have such relation to him crucified, so that truly, although in terms used figuratively, they are sometimes called by the names of things they represent, namely the body and blood of Christ. Yeah, so that's what we're saying. We can, we can still say what these represent, right? but they're not actually it. The body of Christ broken for us, the blood yeah. of Christ shed for us. Yeah. Yet, in substance, our confession of faith continues. In substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. No transubstantiation for us. Substance and nature. Yep. Substance and nature, yes. Uh, number six, <clears throat> the doctrines which add a physical presence to the bread and wine, whether by saying the substance of Christ's body and blood replaces or joins them, are contrary to Scripture and subvert the nature of the sacrament. 
I think it's I think it's important not only to say what you're for, but what you're against. So we have sure. clarity. That's kind of what we have here. Number seven, worthy receivers, outwardly participating in the visible elements of the sacrament, do then spiritually and inwardly, and thus really and truly, uh, but not bodily or physically, feed upon Christ crucified and all of its benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ are not physically but spiritually present to the faith of believers in the sacrament, just as the physical elements are present to their outward senses. Now, I'm going to read one more. Okay, uh, This is point eight. All ignorant and ungodly persons are unfit to enjoy communion with Christ and are therefore unworthy of the Lord's table and mm-hmm. cannot parta- partake of these holy mysteries without great sin while they remain in unbelief. Indeed, whoever receives it in an unworthy manner, get to the next page, in an unworthy manner, uh, unworthy manner, guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, and eats and drinks judgment on himself. So you read that passage from 1 Corinthians 11. Mm-hmm. If you continue to read that passage, which... Um, Specifically not. verses 28 through 30 and 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah. So if you continue to read that, you realize that you you need to do a heart check before you come to the table. Oh, yeah. There is a warning. You need to do some business with God. So uh, that's important in communion as well. And I try to emphasize that. You know, so before we take it, I say take your time. Get your heart right before the Lord before you come up and take it. And you know what? There might be times where you're in perpetual sin, mm-hmm. right? And you pass and you say, I'm not coming up today. I need to get my heart right before the Lord. Mm. I commend that kind of person who, who takes it seriously. That shows you it's not rote, right? but it truly has meaning. I think that kind of gets into sort of the next point I wanted to talk about, which yeah. is who should take communion. Because we have this idea of there is an unworthiness that can happen. There can be a point where you should you should refrain from. Yeah. Um, and that can get into, like, what does it mean to be unworthy? So you touched on, um, you know, someone that's in perpetual sin. Uh, we would also, you know, say, of course, non-believers right. would be unworthy. That's what our confession say, says. Um, but then I want to get into, and you had a, you know, pod, or a blog on this. What about children? Yeah. So if you're going to be like a pedo-baptist, sure. uh, give your kids communion because that's just being consistent with your theology. <laughs> like there's some <laughs> Presbyterian churches who, They're already baptized. who do that. Yeah. They're considered part of the, you know, household of God. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, so for those uh, they call it pedo communion. I'm actually sympathetic if you hold that theology. I don't. I like I said. I think the Lord's table is for those who have confessed faith and have been baptized and been baptized. Well, so it's not just any believer. What about a believer that hasn't been baptized? I I, I would say you're welcome at the table. Okay. If you're asking me for a preference. And if you want to walk through I think the what's internal logic, mm-hmm. I think it's confession, baptism, communion. Sure. Well, I would reject someone who's confessed faith as a follower of Jesus Christ who hasn't been baptized. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh block bar, the table off of that person. Bar them. Yeah. Okay. I think the that idea of that you usually wait for baptism first uh comes from the early church because I know in the yeah. early church they would have like years of essentially catechizing new believers make sure you actually know what you believe why you believe it Mm -hmm. and then after that that's when you get baptizing and start taking communion yeah um i think you also see remnants of that in the catholic church don't you don't you have to be baptized first Mm -hmm. before you even take communion yeah yeah so i i get i get that i'm sympathetic toward that because you do want to guard the table you want we do take it seriously for those who don't take it seriously then you know it's kind of open game 
Well, except for, of course, the warning from First Corinthians. Yeah. Don't do it on word. You know. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I think part of the reason that we can you are a little bit more open about it is mm-hmm. like if you go to scripture, there there isn't really a scripture that says only believers who have been baptized right. should take communion. Yeah, yeah. So that's why maybe you don't take a boom hard stance. Right. Now yeah. this is a argument that I have come across and I'm actually kind of sympathetic towards and I kinda think it could be right, is the idea that only members of the church should take communion. Mm-hmm. So you could be a believer, you could be baptizing baptized but if you visit a church this church would say nope our communion table is only for people that are members of the church and this is the reason why yeah when someone is in sin in a perpetual sin yeah and they need to come under church discipline yep part of the discipline is withholding the communion from that individual Mm -hmm. because usually with church membership you essentially make a covenant with the church and you come under the authority of the leadership, the pastors of that church. Mm -hmm. And part of their authority is when you're in sin and they're going to put you under church discipline, they have the authority to withhold that. But if you have an open communion, what authority do you have to withhold communion and discipline someone that isn't a member of your church? So just like we said before, do you need to be baptized in order to take communion? You got to find me a text. Sure. You know, to really, really say that this is, this is procedurally what we should do. Mm -hmm. Do I, again, sympathize with guarding the table in that way? 100%. Um, I, I, I'm sympathetic toward it. And again, I think you got to ask a question at the end of the day, what is, what does scripture lead us to? It's just silence on that, on that particular question. Okay. I think that's, um, I think I got that from. Uh, my time in seminary. Yeah. I think it's more of a Baptist thing. It's the nine marks. Train. Right. Cause it's the idea that the church should only be filled with regenerate people. Mm-hmm. And of course that you can, cause, cause eventually the, the global church or the church in, in revelation that you see all praising Jesus, those are all regenerate. Yeah. And so it's this idea of trying to keep the purity of the church as much as possible. Like they understand that there's going to be unregenerate people that call themselves Christians. Yeah. and could be a member of their church. In every church. In every church. Um, and so this idea of no only members can take communion is just kind of part of that trying to really mm-hmm. make sure as much as possible mm-hmm. you need to be a member and you need to be baptized right I think I think if you're gonna if you're gonna do the membership thing you're gonna you're probably gonna do the baptism thing right as well. so yeah uh, get back to Calvin real quick because um, I want to explain his great, view a little great more guy. detail great guy <laughs> great beard met him, met him the other day <laughs> Calvin followed Augustine in defining a sacrament as a visible sign of a sacred thing mm-hmm. or as a visible quote, visible word of God. Um, and I'm reading this from Ligonier. According to, according to Calvin, the sacraments are signs, the signs and the things signified must be distinguished without being separated. Calvin rejects the idea that the sacramental signs are merely symbols, for example, Zwingli, but he also rejects the idea that the signs are transformed into things they signify. For example, Rome, Calvin argues that when Christ uses the words, this is my body, the name of the thing signified, body, is applied to the sign, the bread. So he, he's, he's, again, making a step away from Zingli, but n- away from Zingli, but also distinguishing himself from Rome. Sure. So that's, that's, that's one way to articulate Calvin's view. And I would simply continue to add, in participating, it, the Spirit is indeed at work. Mm-hmm. He's at work in the entire worship service, sure. especially and you don't want to bar a believer from that work of the spirit. No, that's right. All right. 
and then how often. Now, we've mentioned before that, yes, there's that, that emphasis that you see in, in the Gospels and in 1 Corinthians of doing it in remembrance. Yeah. But there isn't a clear scripture that says you have to do it every week. There isn't, but I would say there's tradition. Sure. I think there's a strong... Now, again, traditions Catholic, comes underneath... Catholic tradition. Yeah, right. Uh, tradition comes underneath the authority of scripture, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean scriptures or excuse me, traditions useless. Sure, tradition has something to inform us about how Christians before us, how seriously they took it. Sure. So we would of course say, can you just never take communion? I'd say absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. Because you see, this is an ordinance or a sacrament. Yeah. Depending uh, on what word you want to use, some sure. people are more comfortable with one over the other. Yeah, one or the I'm other. Like, I'm fine with sacrament. That Jesus did impart to his church yeah. to do this. And yeah. Paul reemphasizes it in, in first Corinthians 11. So at the very least you can't never do it, mm-hmm. but what about once a year? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you just do it on Christmas, Yeah, you know, or, or on Easter, Easter specifically, cause it's, you know, for the crucifixion right. and the resurrection, a good Friday or yeah. Or good on Friday. a good Friday. Yeah. It's like, why do you do communion on on Easter, Re- Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. When you're, I'm like, well, actually, we can celebrate both at the same time. We sure. do it every Sunday, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like, can you really say that a church is in sin or shouldn't do it just once a year? I think a church shouldn't be... I think a church should be doing it way more than once a year. Way Obviously, I think that. Obviously, I hold that. Um, I think you do your folks a, a dis- great disservice okay. by not participating it, uh, not by not... Offering it and participating in it on a regular basis. Okay. So then we get it on to like once a quarter, once a month. You're kind of same position then. Like yeah. you're not, like it's something important. And yeah. You're just not doing it yeah. very often. Right. Exactly. So maybe you're the most sympathetic then towards the monthly. Sure. Because you're doing it more. You're the doing more. it doing it at least 12 times a year. Yeah. And you're trying to keep it special. Here's what I say about the monthly thing. I, I was a pastor of a church that did it this way. They did it monthly. And then something comes up, like for for the for the upcoming Sunday, and it's Communion Sunday. But we have to bump it because we have this thing going on. Or sure. We have this person coming in to speak or give a a special announcement. Communion then becomes very easy to bump. Sure, that's what I, I mean. That, I mean, for churches, you can be committed to it once a month. Great, pastors, mm. good job. Stick to it. Show your commitment. I just think. Once a week is preferable. Sure. I think that sort of regularity, that once a week thing, is kind of hinted at in 1 Corinthians 26, where it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And why would we not want to proclaim that? Right. I mean, every single time. Right. And often, I mean, it says as often, but I think to me, it communicates a hint that it is quite regular. Mm -hmm. Um to me, it almost gives a hint that maybe in that early church, every time they came together, as often as they came together, they were celebrating the Lord's table. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a hint. I don't think it's outright, but I think it's a hint that it could, it should be done yeah. weekly. So back to Calvin real quick, because I'm really emphasizing where we're at as a church. Um, You're trying to get the Zwingli out of me. I got yeah, it. I know I am. Calvin <laughs> often used the term spiritually eating to describe the mode by which believers partake. But he was careful to define what he what he meant by that, right? So he he says spiritually eating, but not the physical, right? Body or drinking, right? Again, right? not Catholic. So again, there's a spiritual emphasis to a strong. So maybe it's, it is a difference of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look at it this way: Calvin's way instead of Zwingli's way. 
Mm-hmm. And if you look at it Calvin's way, I think it, it ups, um, it, it heightens the importance of our, mm. of that moment in church and our liturgy in our liturgy service. Right. So at the very least, um, even if it is for remembrance, why would you not want to remember each week? Yeah. There is a spiritual work and about it of stirring your affections for Christ. Yeah. Why would you not want to do that? Yeah. Every week. Yeah. Um, and so really I think it's more about if you're, you know, you should do it every week and then guard your heart. That doesn't just become some sort of routine that you just do the motions for. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we've sufficiently covered that. And again, I'll throw the links of the blogs that I wrote in that as well. And I did reference that uh, article from Ligonier that's helpful, just explaining mm. Calvin's view in the Lord's table. Now, Logan, uh, by the way, everyone, if you've been listening and been hearing pool balls crash, it's because we're meeting in a public setting. So just so you know, might get some background noise. Now, you read any good books right now? Um, two books I'm kind of reading through slowly. Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Yeah. I've been having just a... Bada bing, bada boom. Man. Really deep conviction of... And this really came from when I was working on my sermon that I got sick for. Huh. That I preached right? preach that Sunday. Yeah. Um, is just this idea of holiness and how much it's not emphasized very much mm-hmm. in living in obedience. And I have my own sins that I struggle with. And so with the scriptures and with this book, I hope to really stir my affections um, to fight sin, mm-hmm. uh, b- in two ways. One, I want to grow in my love of God. Cause I think ultimately obedience to God's commands comes from a deep love of God. Mm-hmm. Like I think you see that in the Psalms, yeah. you know, when David talks about, or maybe it's just a Psalmist cause it's, it changes from Psalm to Psalm talks about like the words of the Lord being like sweet honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want, I want to grow in that love. Yeah. You want a personal revival. Again, you know, again, my definition of revival yeah, includes becoming, yeah, come yeah, on, yeah. get out of here. Or, I get that. But, but uh, your definition, yes, I want that personal revival. I want to, I almost want to get back to like when I first became a Christian, there was that zeal that I had. Yeah, zeal is the right word right there. Uh, Being zealous for the Lord. Right. Like I would sit down and like I read seven books of the New Testament over seven hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just using sevens because it was seven yeah. hours. I don't know how many books <laughs> it was. Funny enough, the reason I did that was because I was at a caribou that was near Kennedy, my wife, then girlfriend's house. And I was like, hey, do you want to hang out? And then she never responded. And I didn't want to go home <laughs> because I was like, well, if I go home and then she responds, then I have to go back out. That's I, awesome. like, I don't want to do that. So I just sat there and just read my Bible yeah, for a great. long time. It was great. Um, but then also I want to get a hatred of sin. Yeah, God hates sin. That's another podcast. Uh, how how we treat sin now in the church, and how God views sin. Right. You know. The other thing I am uh, trying to read slowly. This one's a lot harder to read. Yeah. Um, is the history of Western uh, philosophy and theology by John Frame. John Frame. Yeah. Um, and that is to really get a better and more robust understanding of the different f- philosophies and way of thinking in our time by looking back and seeing what the influences were. Yeah. So that's good. That's what I'm reading. A couple books I'm in. One by J.B. Fesco, The Trinity and the Covenant of Redemption. About halfway to three-fourths through that bad boy. Um, if you're into covenant theology, that's your jam. Uh, as I'm preaching through a sermon series right now, my companion is John Murray, Redemption Accomplished, Redemption Applied. That's a great book. And then one by Herman Bavink, and, uh, well, a book called Neo-Calvinism about... Um, Abraham Kuyper and Herman Bavink and their theology and their influence on 
Calvinism and neo-Calvinism in general. So it's, I think it's funny. I'm like, I'm ha- I mean like over halfway in all these and I'm like, I've, I gotta take a day off and just read. read these <laughs> you need books, at least right? finish one. Like, just yeah. pick one and finish it. You know, I like mixing it up. You know, I like I like going different places and kind of keeps me engaged. No matter what have you. So, all right, man. Well, it's good to get the band back together. Right. How can people find us? Uh, they can find us on Apple Music or po- Apple Podcasts, Google, yeah, yeah. Spotify, YouTube. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I usually put them on there. Awesome. Cornfieldtheology.com. That's the big one. Go to our website. Go right to the website. It's a ministry of Redemptional Church. And we hope that you've uh, enjoyed this podcast. If you got any comments or questions, you want to throw some feedback, we'd love to have it. Uh, you disagree. We always like to take up disagreements. We think it's good to dialogue around these things and to continue to think well about God, about the Christian faith, about theology. So that's it for now. Thanks for putting up with the background noise. And uh, actually, more significantly, thank you for putting up with Logan. Uh, huh. and, I mean, me and Logan. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you all, and God bless. Take care. Bye. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.